You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Now we're ready to go. Yeah, if our computer sits too long and, and runs the thing, it, was, it had ran too long, and so that it went into sleep mode or something. But anyway, sorry about that, and uh, good thing we knew some of the words to some of those songs. Those were good songs. Thank you, Jed. It's interesting, something you said this morning, Jed, you're going to hear again. Um, I think he was reading my notes before uh, we began, but it was really good to hear from Pastor Renee. And uh, <laughs> me and Renee and Gonzo were talking, and Gonzo said, you know, I, um, I eat at home every night. My wife cooks. She's a good cook. I'm going to use your line, Gonzo. He's nervous right now. He's about ready to run out the door. But he said, uh, I eat with my wife every now, every night. And I, I like her cooking and everything. He said, but sometimes it's good to, to have some cooking that somebody else did. And so it was good to hear from Pastor Renee. I'm not sure if that was a compliment or not. I think he was ready for some new, some new cooking here at Plank Grove Harvest. But uh, it was good to hear from uh, Pastor Renee and Irene. They're going to be back. Uh, Renee will be here tonight. He's preaching at the Hispanic service over with Marto Kale. And, um, and then Irene uh, taught on joy on Wednesday night with the ladies. I think that was real good. And this, this Wednesday night will be her last teaching. It'll be women, uh, sorry, winning the battle of self-control. So it's another thing just for the ladies. And for uh, Renee, I said, what are you preaching on Wednesday night? He goes, man, I don't know. He was getting ready to preach this morning over there. So I was going to get that topic for you guys. But he'll be here tonight. Come and hear him tonight. Um, uh, Renee, very evangelism oriented his goal is to see people brought to Christ and it's a good goal and so um, come tonight and hear him so last Wednesday uh, the men were in here the women were back there and the thing that Renee preached on was why the church why is the church so weak in this culture today why does the world look down on the church and, and Dave and I were talking about this morning and it's more than just, we can't put, really put our finger on one thing, because the world's always looked down on the church. The world's always looked down on Christ. Um, to be a follower of Christ is going to be enmity with the world. That's just how that is. So there's more, there's more nuanced answers there than we're going to be able to cover in one thing. But one thing that he was pointing out was, when Israel was a godly nation, when it had godly leaders, Joshua, Moses, you know, once the people got going out in the desert, Moses is taking charge. God is, they're, they're really focusing on God. With Joshua, the, the handoff goes there with Joshua. Then we end up with, you know, King David and King Solomon. When these men of God are leading the nation and the people in general are following God because of the example of the leader, the nations feared the people of Israel. They revered them. Not necessarily feared them as in they're going to take us over, but they didn't bother them. They didn't mock them. But when they had bad leadership, the world mocked them. The nations that surround them mocked them. They came in and overtook them. And he was just making the point that, um, that the same thing happens with the church. The reality is it's not just the leader, whoever the leader is of the nation, that causes God's hand of blessing to be on the nation or not. Because uh, King Josiah is a really good example. For 40 years or 30 years, I believe he was a 30-year king, but for 30 years, King Josiah was a great king. He cleans out the temple. He restores the reading of God's word. He tears down the high places. He gets them off of idol worship. He does all these things. But the people in their heart, because he was the king and had the power to, to kill them if they weren't obedient, at the moment he dies, the people immediately revert back to the old way of idol worship and all the different things that they were off track with the Lord in. So it's, kind of, it's not always 100% the leadership's fault. The leadership has a big thing to do with it. But the heart of the people was turned against. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So quickly, I want to read you to, this to you out of Judges real fast. So in Judges, you have a man like Joshua... He's leading well. And in one generation, so really a generation and a half, so the people that came into the land, that they were no older than 40 years old because they had been born in the desert or had been small children, so maybe they could be as much as 50 years old. They were relatively young. And their children, the ones that had actually seen God's presence, the fire, the smoke, those, those when that generation died off, the people turned away. When all that generation, Judges 2, 10, and 11, 
When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So the generations that followed God was lost because the godly generation failed to demonstrate how important following God was. So the generations that we're seeing in churches now, the weakened generations that we're seeing in churches now as a whole, are largely lost or very weak because they haven't seen great leadership example by their parents, grandparents, and so on. So the, so the, the, the importance of following God hasn't been exemplified, it hasn't been taught, it hasn't been demonstrated very well since, you pick the year, 1970, whatever. From somewhere right in there, we saw a deep decline not just in church membership, but in devout, pious believers following God fully with their whole lives, living set apart. And I'm speaking of the United States of America. I'm not speaking of any other country. Because you can go to other countries under great persecution and see the church growing, even under persecution. So in this free country, what's happened, kind of like what happened with the Israelites, was as the materialism and things like that, the ability to make wealth and things like that increased, people's leaning on God has decreased. So you have your old timers and they're still there and they're still, you know, really spending their energy and they're watching. They're looking for that spark to ignite again in the churches and see people come again in the zeal to return to the temple. They're looking for that, but they may not see it because it may not be their fault. But somewhere down the, the line there, people didn't pass on the zeal for the house of God. So. Where do we find the solution? So chapters 8 and 9 in Romans, I read Romans once this week, and then I was like, well, I read the introduction to Romans. I read Romans, then I read the introduction to Romans. And in that introduction, it talked about how, how much doctrine, theology, and so on, and what a great teacher Paul was in really going over things doctrinally in there. And so I read it again. I read it again as like a student would be under your professor, and he's giving you the, he's giving the going over there. So you've got to take notes because there's a test at the end, right? There is a test at the end, people. <laughs> we got to die. It's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. We're all going to come under the judgment. We're all going to be standing there and have to give an account for our life. And it's great to be under the righteousness of Christ, to be covered by that righteousness, but there's still a judgment. There's still a measure of what we did, gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be tested by fire, and we're going to be proved. And he's going to say, uh, you can come in, but you smell a little smoky. You barely made it. You know, so there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a testing. And if I had to look at the question, why is the church weak? It's pretty well organized right here in Romans 8. We're just going to be in 8, really. I said 8 and 9. But why is the church weak? Because its people are weak. The people of God are weak. As individual members in, the, in any particular body, not necessarily hammering us personally or an individual person because Dave is weak, the rest of us are weak, therefore the church is weak, whatever. Individual members, we all have an individual responsibility as believers to seek the Lord, to seek him, to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the rivers of living water. So it's pouring back out. You're so full that it's running back out. Each individual person has that responsibility to be filled in that way. But not only that, so an individually, a church filled with individuals, weak individuals, is going to be a weak church. Multiple weak churches makes for a weak body of Christ. A weak body of Christ makes for an easy target for the world. When the body of Christ was strong, you know, a, a good example is abortion. Uh, back in the, you don't believe this, but way back when they were writing the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, abortion was one of the topics that they battled with back then. Because people still got pregnant out of, out of wedlock. People got pregnant didn't want to be pregnant. Things happen. And so this abortion thing was kind of a secret underground thing. And what they would do is if they found the person to have given an abortion, they would hang them. And if they found the woman, they would, they would persecute her as well in that. And so different lawmakers trying to be nice, trying to be helpful, trying to be kind, they tried to make some laws. And a lot of those founding fathers said, no, the taking of human life is wrong. Taking of innocent human life is wrong. So way back then, that's been an issue. So as the church lost strength all the way up into the 60s, that abortion thing raises its head again. And now, of course, it's legal. 40 million plus babies have been murdered that way. 
And, um, and the church is, is toothless on that. But for a long time, the church was very strong in that. So we saw the weakness of the church allowed this sinful action to, to come in and to cause great damage to humanity as a whole. That's 40 million just in the United States, by the way. So we try to, we, we kind of want to ignore this thing that a, a church may be weak or the body of Christ as a whole may be weak because it kind of reflects on, it doesn't kind of, it reflects on us. It says that we're weak. We're weak in our faith. We're weak in following. And there's a number of reasons that that weakness is there. The first reason uh, may be carnality. The bringing of the things that are not godly into the place of worship. Bring in the flesh. Carnal. Carne is the, wor the word in Spanish for beef. Carne is meat. You know, the carnival. You go into the carnival, the fairgrounds, it feeds the flesh. It's fun. The flesh enjoys it. We go to the carnival to have carnal fun and we ride on the rides and eat the big hot dogs and whatever. It's, it's carnal. It feeds the flesh. The problem is, is when the flesh comes into the body of Christ, it, it wounds the holiness. And so it, it damages the holiness of the body. The Holy Spirit indwelling a man, you say, well, I'm accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit came into me and indwells me now. But if I surround him with filth, if I surround him with garbage, is he going to work? It's hard for the, it's not hard, God works how he works. It's hard for the spirit to work if he's trudging through neck-high manure. If we fill our inner man with neck-high manure, the Holy Spirit will be quenched. He's not going to work. You're going to call out to God and he's not going to answer you. He's not going to hear you. His ears are plugged with your filth. The next thing could be materialism. I'm not saying these are the three reasons the church is weak. I'm saying these are some reasons. Materialism, just the gathering of the things of the world for personal gain. It's one thing to gather things. I mean, we have to have money. We have to have a certain amount of money to live, to buy food, clothes, whatever, cars to, to get to work and so on. But this gathering of material gain where it becomes an idol in our lives more important to us than God or our relationship with him. To gather things, to put them in the storehouse to develop the kingdom of God is different than to gather things for personal gain. As the materialism grows, the strength of the church weakens. Or just apathy. Like at just the, the sheer laziness of, of what we are as humans. I mean, when I get tired at the end of the day, I go home and I sit in my chair. I'm not really thinking about, boy, I wonder if, if um, you know, Whitney's doing okay with the kids. I mean, one of their little babies has got the RSV or whatever. And uh, not, not, not feeling well. And, uh, you know, I don't go home and ponder the health of Jez. You know, I'm, I'm only thinking about myself. I'm tired. I sit down. I, I'm lazy. We're all that way. We're all fleshly. If it came right down to it, and yet we're exposed, you were all exposed in your laziness, and you had to show your schedule of every day, you could find a certain amount of every day where you were slothful and you weren't performing as you should. You haven't given as unto the Lord with your whole being and your whole spirit and your whole physical ability, your whole ability to, to make wealth or to do good or to take dominion or any of those things. So we all have laziness in us. But the problem is, is that we, we take this and we say, well, I'll seek the Lord soon. When I get some time, you know, maybe tomorrow, I'm kind of running late this morning, I'll read the book tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. I'll put it off till tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and it's the same thing. And before long, it's gone two weeks, a month, or a year. We haven't opened the book we haven't been with the Lord, we haven't meditated, we haven't fasted, we haven't prayed. We haven't spoken with other believers, we haven't spoken with non-believers. We haven't proselytized, we haven't evangelized, we haven't done anything. Because we're lazy. And so ultimately, we come to church to be refilled, but the feeling that you receive from a man speaking to you what God's word said is not the same as hearing from the Lord himself. You've got to be fed hearing from the Lord. You've got to hear his word as you speak to him, and he speaks to you through his word or however he speaks to you. And in prayer, that's how you're filled. But the apathetic man in the body of Christ, he's not going to bear down. He's not going to assist. He's not going to look to uh, treat others more highly than himself. So let's read here in Romans, Romans 8. We're going to read Romans 8, 1 through 17, and see if there's something, if there's the solution for weak churches in this chapter 8. We're just going to read through 17. I know there's a lot more there. And uh, I had um, a man, Baylor, read that there, uh, the things that could separate us from the love of God. But let's read chapter 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He is not Christ's. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by, which we cry, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. So there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So I'm going to ask you a question right here. If I read that, God's word is truth. God calls his own word truth. Jesus said his word is truth. God's word is the Bible, therefore this is the truth. So I'm going to ask you this question. You evaluate your own spirit right here in this question. Do you have the spirit in you that can only come from Jesus Christ? It can only come from the Father by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you have that spirit in you? Many people would say yes. But what's the testimony? This lady uh, that I met here recently, she gave a testimony. She said, I want to give you my testimony. And she sat there and started talking about how her husband was this bad man and a cruel man. And in one day he met this other man. And that man led him to Christ. And now her husband is saved. And now he's a good man. And he's a good leader in their home and all these things. And we got back in the car and I said, well, you know, that was a good testimony. That wasn't your testimony. That was his testimony. I said, what about you? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, when did you begin to follow Christ? And she couldn't put her finger on it. Many people, there's many, you know, maybe women are, are more prone to this than men. Most men are, are kind of negative by nature. But there's a lot of ladies who say, well, she's a really nice lady. You can be a really nice person and be lost and go into hell. You know, well, I never killed anybody. You know, I helped the old lady across the street. I brought her groceries to her car. You, you can do nice things and still be separate from God. And I said, you need to, the Bible says to examine yourself and ensure that you're of the faith. So I need to measure myself. Do I have the Holy Spirit in me? Because if I have the Holy Spirit in me, some of the things that I do, I should feel great guilt for. And I should desire repentance and reconnection with God for. Well, I don't have the Holy Spirit in me. If that's not what's driving me, then I'll feel very little emotion one way or another no matter what I do. Because I'm not being directed by the Spirit, I'm being directed by the flesh. There's, it says, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the truth now. So what if you're not in Christ Jesus? If there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, what does that mean? That means if you're not in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. What is condemnation? That's the eternal separation from God. You fall under his wrath instead of his, his love, his grace. There is a certain amount of grace that falls on all men. Just we live in a country that's you know, still has a lot of largely Christian ideals or moral values and things like that. There is grace that comes that we have rain and, you know, good growing seasons and things like that. We have ample food, and there's a lot of grace there. There's a lot of blessings from God. There may be grace in this life, but there's going to be condemnation in the future for those that do not have Christ Jesus. And many of us would say, 
I'm a Christian. They, they asked me why I'm in the Marine Corps. And I've told you this before. You know, you had to put on your dog tag so that when you get shot, they could have the right guy say the last rites over you or whatever. And so they said, well, what are you? I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a Christian. You can't put that on there. You got to be something. Are you a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic? I was like, well, I'm not a Catholic, so I must be a Baptist. Put it on there, <laughs> you know. I didn't know. But I wasn't a Christian either, likely. I mean, I believe as far as being saved, I, there was a point I can put my finger on a certain point in my life where I know that Christ came and he saved me. But as far as walking as a Christian, no. That would have been a lie to put Christian on there anyway because I lived like a hellion, a, a heathen. I didn't live as a Christian. And so I was under wrath and not love in that particular instance, you know. I was under condemnation. If you're not in Christ, where are you? You need to measure that in yourself. I don't think we measure that well sometimes. Well, I'm a pretty good person. You, and our list of good personness is just, I haven't done these things that I perceive as bad things. You know, I never committed adultery, but I lie like a dog. You know, I never killed anybody, but I'm a greedy dog. I never, you know, whatever, I never, you know, whatever, push the old lady down. But I will do, I, I desire everything that my neighbor, I covet everything. I mean, we're really quick to make, put these sins in different categories of, well, at least I didn't do those things. Yeah, but you did all these other things. And the balance of the scale is still like this. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, where are you? You're under condemnation. You need to measure that. Have you been born again? Jesus tells Nicodemus, ye must be born again. You must be born again. There's not an option. If you want life and you want an eternal, you must be born again. Romans 8, 3 through 6, it says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. So it wasn't about this keeping all the rules thing that's going to save you. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You know where, you know where Jesus was vile? He was vile in that he had to put on human flesh. He had to get the world on him. He was perfect in every way as far as his spirit and the things that were in him. But as far as his human body, you know, if he's walking along with bare feet and there's a rusty nail in the road, he could still get tetanus. See that? Because his body, was, the body that his spirit was in was corrupted. Much more our own in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Everything that we are is corrupted. So answer this question. Are you walking according to the flesh every day? Or are you walking according to the Spirit? Well, so many of us, you know, we got like, there's this, this amount of flesh that we allow in our life, and there's this amount of spirit that we allow in our life. And they're like, they're like snow skis, and we're kind of slipping along, you know, one foot on the flesh and one foot on the Spirit, trying to do our thing, trying to get God's blessing over here while maintaining as much of the flesh as we possibly can because we like the flesh. I like hamburgers. I'm pro-hamburger. Renee said he wasn't pro. I'm pro-hamburger. I could eat a lot of hamburgers. I love them. But I got to watch it, man, because it makes the flesh grow. You got to be careful. There's a thing called self-control, and I don't have a lot of it. How much of it is me feeding my own flesh or me walking in the Spirit? So answer this question in your own mind. Do I walk daily according to the Spirit, moment by moment, or do I walk daily filled with the flesh, walking in the flesh, and every now and then I remember that I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit? And tragically, the second is probably the correct answer. Every single moment of my life is designed by God to be directed by the Spirit. The problem is, is I'm filled with the flesh. It's what I am. I'm a fleshly guy. So are you. My, my kids, my Dan told me one time, he goes, oh, Dad, you see the devil behind every tree. He is. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to see who he can destroy. It's what he does. He's sneaky. He is. But worse than the devil is my own flesh that I have to live with. I mean, he's trying to attack me from the outside, but I'm living with this stuff on the inside. I see things with my eyes. It comes through the eye gates. It comes through the ear gates. It comes through the mouth gate. The things, that's from Holy War, by the way, uh, John Bunyan. You should read that. It's a good one, Petey. Read it. But these things that come in, 
that cause this corruption of the flesh. And if I'm not careful, I allow them to come in. And worse, they go into the supercomputer and I sit there and I allow it to process kind of like this. And before long, it shuts down. It's so full of the flesh, the spirit can't work. Or it's not that it can't, it won't. Romans 8, 7 through 14. I know we already read it. We're reading it again. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It's an enemy of God. Your human flesh is an enemy of God. It's one of my favorite um, sermons is John, uh, Jonathan Edwards, the man, natural enemy of God. You can look it up on, on the computer in there. Go look it up. Print it off. Read it and take notes on it. And you'll see that he is right, 100% correct, that our entire existence as mankind is in a natural enemy state of God. We're in a war against God. The one who created us, the one who loves us more than any other thing, the one who desires our reconciliation with him, we constantly are at war with him because we would rather dwell in our flesh than dwell in the spirit. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the scripture for today. I want you to memorize that scripture. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If I allow the flesh to direct my life, which I do, I cannot please God. If I'm not pleasing God... Am I his friend or am I his enemy? If you care about someone, you're in a marriage relationship with someone. In general, you know, especially when you're newlyweds or whatever, you go out of your way to care for that other person and to try to, you know, make things nice, you know, to help them and things like that. As time goes on, you kind of lose that closeness and you begin to do your own thing and, and eventually you get spaced. We talked about that before. But many times when we first begin to follow God, we're like, man, he saved me. He did this for me. He's, he's restored me. He's doing these things. I'm seeing him work in this way. I was able to tell someone else the gospel. But in time, our flesh begins to, we begin to feed that flesh again. And we lose that sense. Remember that verse, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We lose that joy of salvation that we had when we were new believers. And we begin to get distance from God. And we're like, well, why doesn't he hear me when I pray? Why are these negative things happening? Why, you know, whatever. And we, we, we blame God for the negatives and not realizing that we're probably bringing it on ourselves in our own flesh. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, you believer, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So if you have accepted Christ, if you say you're a follower of Christ, but you do not do the things that I say, you are a liar and the truth is not in you, Christ says. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's Christ speaking. Hmm. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The thing that should animate us, by animate I mean make us move, the thing that should make us move is God's spirit in us. But largely the thing that makes us move is our own flesh, our own fleshly desires. Do I do things in my life day by day? Do I measure the things that I do day by day by the things that my flesh desires or by what the Spirit tells me I'm to do right now? I'll give you a story on Dave. He doesn't know I'm going to tell him this, but last night uh, he said, man, he said, I was tired. I was wanting to go home. And God told me I'm supposed to take Charles out for ice cream. Now, I know there was some fleshly desire there, Dave. You can say what you want. But I'm telling you, when you're tired, a very similar thing happened to me years ago with Chris Brown. And uh, those that know Chris or whatever, great guy, man. He wasn't always a great guy. And I was leaving. I was, I was leaving some apartments, and I was turning right to go back to the house. To the left is where Chris Brown was. I'm leaving the apartments, and I'm telling you, it was as clear as I've ever heard from God. I heard, go pick up Chris Brown. And I'm like, man, I am tired. I'm going home. So I turned right out of the apartments. Chris is to the left. And somehow ended up at Chris Brown's apartment where Chris Brown was staying. He was staying over there with old Bruce uh, Lloyd. And sure enough, man, there was some drug head kind of fella pushing some stuff on him, and Chris was biting. And I said, Chris, uh, I said, get in the car, man. And, uh, and so anyway, you know the story. Eventually Chris really came around, and he got saved, and he got restored, and he moved in the house out there, and he prayed to God for a year, and he ended up with a wife, and he's doing great today preaching the gospel today it wasn't that dale brown is so great of an evangelist it's that god's spirit worked in me to rescue someone that was right he was right there 
He could go back to the old. It was that moment in time that we rescued Chris Brown. Last night, I'm telling you, Dave, and I appreciate you coming, but we can, you know, um, you know, Charles struggles with some depression and stuff. If God told you to go pick him up and you don't pick him up, he sits up there and, he's, and he goes down. But God moved you and you heard the Spirit and you acted on it. That's what I'm telling you. And I can tell you one against myself, too. I think I've told you before. Is, uh, I was driving in a car, and um, I'm telling you, it was as clear as the one with Chris Brown. And this man that I'd talked to a number of times who told me, the, he told me, the Grim Reaper will never catch me. I'd given him the gospel a number of times. And I was driving home, and his wife called me and said, um, John's got cancer. He'd already lost one kidney cancer. And John uh, has got kidney cancer in the other kidney. And, um, and there's just nothing you can do. And they gave him a couple weeks. I was like, man, I need to go see him right now. Because if he's ever hungry, now's the time. And I'm going to tell you, my phone started ringing, and I forgot. And that guy was dead within a week. So I didn't follow. The Spirit told me, go talk to John right now. I didn't follow the Spirit. I'm not saying, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to shake out in eternity. I hate, to, I hate to think about it too much. But I'm telling you, God uses his people if they will hear his voice and act on the things that he directs them in. You can get a blessing from it. We can see the blessing of Chris Brown today. Any of you guys can meet Chris Brown. He'll start preaching. To, if we had him here, he'd be marching up and down here preaching. You'd all be crying and there'd be, there'd be no telling what happened. Three of you would be missionaries to the Congo by the day was out. I mean, the guy is on fire. But there was that moment where the spirit had to be heard and the man had to react. And I reacted and Chris reacted. And he was, he was rescued in that. We, we, we're really quick to apply scriptures to ourselves as carnal, fleshly people that don't necessarily apply sometimes. A really good one is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, I see it on everybody's house. And then we see these, these big personal issues in these people's house. And another one is uh, that one in James 1, 5. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And uh, this one man I met yesterday, it was a good time, man. And he, I met him through Chris Brown. It's amazing how things work. This guy's a bad drug head and recovering and that sort of thing. He just got out of jail. And I'm talking to him. And he said, man, the reason I was in jail was because I turned my back on God. I was walking my own life. He said, I'd been clean for a year, and I decided that uh, I could just I could mess around with these other drug heads and stuff and take them to work and do different things. And he said, in that, um, I got back on it. And he said, my wife called me. He said, I don't know how she knew, but she called me. She said, did you just take drugs? And he goes, yeah. She goes, God showed me. <laughs> this, is what his, this is his words. God showed me in a vision that if you went back down this road, that he was going to take everything from us. And he's like, and he said, I just, I just started running down the road. And he said, a car picked him up and took him to church. And in that church, he said, I was so high, I didn't know where I was at. He said, people started praying for me and casting demons out of me and everything else. And then the police came and picked me up. And I spent four months in jail. And he said, in that jail, I realized that God was, he was rescuing him. That that was the pivotal moment. But he said, God told me there, if I do it again, he's going to take my life. That's in the spirit. But you better listen. <laughs> um, he, but he, what he said was, he said, well, Lord, you said that um, you would give wisdom to any who asks liberally. And he said, how come you're not giving me wisdom? And he said, God spoke to him and said, how come you're still using drugs? It's like, oh, you know, stop using dummy that's the first wise thing he goes i got a lot wiser after that we apply things to ourselves that are in the bible that are promises but they're only promises to god's people make sure that you're one of god's people 8 13 and 14 for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god Probably the biggest reason that the church has become so ineffective in the world is because God's people are more likely to live according to the flesh than according to the spirit. And I'm not, I'm not judging you. God's word is speaking. I'm just telling you what it said. It's not the spirit on Sunday, like I said, and the flesh the rest of the week. Jed, you said that in that prayer this morning. I'm like, that joker's been reading my notes. But he said the same thing. It's not the spirit on Sunday and the flesh the rest of the week. It's not the spirit for an hour or 45 minutes on Sunday 
168 hours a week. You're going to spend 45 minutes to battle 167 and a quarter hours of the world completely flowing over you and infiltrating your mind and your spirit and your body. It's not going to work. It's just got to be a daily thing. Uh, Mark, Mark was saying, he goes, I believe in the tithe. He goes, you know, if you're going to tithe 10%, you should at least give 10% of your life to the Lord. He said, that'd be, be 16.8 hours in a week. You could do that a couple hours a day. We, we're not willing to give that. We're not willing to give five minutes. Why is the church weak? Because its people are weak. Is, the guilt of, is there guilt in your conscience when you say a harsh word to your wife, to your children? Is there guilt there? Is there a, a humbling there where you have to like, man, I, I got to make this right? Is that there? Because if it's not there, then examine yourself and see that if you have the spirit in you, you may not have the spirit in you. Is there guilt there when you, when you actively sin repeatedly in this thing that just hammers you and you just can't get loose of it? Have you just so hardened your heart against those things that you're just like, ah, it's just how I am, whatever, and you're just trucking on? Is that how it is? Does the things that come out of your mouth edify people or tear people down? Is it building your families or tearing your wife down? Examine yourself. Does the negative things that you do, that you know is wrong, do they drive you to repentance and to um, confession of sin, 1 John 1, 9? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is there confession of sin daily in your life? Is there a desire to be filled with the Spirit, filled fully to overflowing? Be ye being filled with the Spirit so that it's, you know, the piled up cup we've talked about a hundred times? Is that in there? If not... Examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. I, I, we read that verse, and I was going to tell you about this, about claiming things that aren't yours to claim, but it says, yet in all these things we're more than conquerors. Who are? Those that are filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the flesh, this doesn't apply to you. You're more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus if the love of God is in you, if you're filled with the Spirit. The flesh can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It can do it. Got to be careful. I was reading this uh, on the Beatitudes Matthew 5, 13, it says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, or its saltness is a really good word, if the salt has lost its saltness, how shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. And we've all heard this preached in one manner or another. I know you have. Everybody's heard this one, you know. You know, like we're a little salt shaker and we're supposed to be shaking off on people, you know. What's salt good for? Preservative, you know and uh, a, a flavor enhancer and, and as believers we're just supposed to be this preservative flavor enhancer for the world and so on and there's a lot more going on there than just that little trite thing that you've heard since you were a kid so we got two things going on there and if you look at the rest of the the the, the beatitudes around it, you can see this more clearly but this salt that they're talking about that jesus is talking about is this dead sea salt so it was used for a things a lot more than just you know putting some salt on your t-bone or your lamb bone whatever they ate there it's used as a fertilizer and then this other one's a little crass i don't want to be too visual but they had a place in their yard where they had outdoor plumbing where they went to the bathroom and when you got done you put this salt on top of it like a big handful kind of like they used to do in outhouses with lime and they put that on to control uh like as an antiseptic and an odor control okay and then the other was as a fertilizer you know so we have these salts that are coming from the Dead Sea that have a lot more things than just NaCl, just sodium chloride, like we have salt, table salt. It was salts more like uh, uh, potassium chloride and things like that, like we'd get in fertilizer. So as believers, this makes a lot more sense. If you think about the parable of the soils and the different soils, and we talked about this in the past, how the need of the soils was to be amended, to be made better. You know, the soil in Cumberland County, very weak in lime. If you want to grow anything, you've got to add lime. 
because the fertilizer won't hardly even work up here if you don't add lime to it on your pasture, corn crops, and stuff like that. Soil's very weak here. And so you have to amend the soil to make it better. And the soil of the world is very poor. It needs to be amended. It needs to be amended by God's people. It's either poor soil or it's a dung heap. The world is. And so how do we solve the problem when we put the fertilizer to it? If all the salt, and, and here's a good example, and any of you guys, I know a lot of you guys have put fertilizer on pasture and stuff before, somewhere or another, but if you go down to the co-op down here, you go get a fertilizer spreader, it's made of stainless steel, and you go to the thing and you tell them what you got, how many acres you got and how much, and they'll give you a combination of fertilizers, potassium or, you know, potash, potassium, what's the other one? Uh, nitrogen and one more. Potassium, nitrogen, and one more. Anyway, can't think of the other one. See, what a good farmer I am. What was the other one? Phosphorus, yes. So it's got those three in there. That's the primary mix is those three. And you can add micro things. Anyway, you put it in the spreader. They mix it for you. They put it in the spreader. Then you take it out and you spread it on your fields. This picture works really well with this spreader. If you've ever gone down there and look at their spreaders, look at their older ones, and they're absolutely corroded out. And what that is is fertilizer that remained in the spreader and it's as a salt just like you see on cars that drive on the roads after the winter time they get corrosion they get rust on them it's very corrosive so as believers it does me no good to be filled with all these salts it does me no good to come week after week i've told you this to become week after week and be filled with good word from god and just to sit there and let it corrode the inside of me it's got to be spread out if I go and spend $1,000 to get the spreader filled and I just leave it full of fertilizer, all it does is corrode the spreader. It doesn't help my field. It doesn't help anything. It only works when I run the spreader over my field and it flings the fertilizer out and then everything benefits. The grass benefits. The, the animals benefit because you got more grass. You got better nutrition in the grass. You got fatter cows. You get more production off your milk. Everything, everything benefits from that. So... To keep the salt in the salt shaker or the salt cellar or the fertilizer spreader is not helping anything. And then it ends with that, that statement of the salt that's lost, lost its saltness. It's no good but to be thrown out and to be trodden underfoot by men. So, so can sodium chloride, say NaCl, can it, can it lose its NaClness? The only way, it, it doesn't lose it. It can only be adulterated as you add things to it. It loses its power as you add things to the salt. It says you're the salt of the, of the earth, believers, and yet our salt, we're not the little pure white salt shaker or the Himalaya salt shaker. We're not like that. We got the white in there, but about half the shaker is brown or black or red. It's got some other thing mixed in with it. And so we lose our impact. We lose a certain amount of the power of the fertilizer to spread because we have so much of the world mixed in with the salt. And so we lose the power of the salt. That's what he's talking about. So what good is it? What good is a saltine cracker? They, you know, they make saltine crackers unsalted. What's the point? They're not that great salted. Then you leave them unsalted. They're no good but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You know, if I want something crunchy, I'll eat a chip. They're worthless. If you're a salt-free, saltine person, God bless you, whatever. But I'm telling you, saltless Christians are just like the world. That's what it's saying. You're worthless. If you're not allowing the salt to flow back out of you, you're worthless. And you're no good but to be mixed in with the rest of the soils. That's what he's saying. Trodden underfoot with the rest of the soil. Just throw it out in the road and it can be part of the road. Is there any measure in you today that's, that says God's word is warning me here and I need to listen? Because I've been, I've been pretty unsalty. I've been pretty fleshly. Pretty much my whole life is just about me and what I want to do with my spare time and my, my kids and whatever. It was just me and whatever I want to do. I mean, is that not, if that's an issue with you, it's not, I'm telling you again, it's not Dale Judge. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you that there's going to be many on that day who will say, uh, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? Weren't we positive? Didn't we help people? And he's going to say, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. You were a really good, nicely dressed, um, pretty nice person on Sunday, but the rest of the week, 
you are a filthy salt shaker, not even full of salt. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If I live in the flesh, therefore I cannot please him. I may not know him. If I have a relationship that I want to keep, I'm very careful on how I react to the person that I'm in the relationship with. Is that not true? With my wife or my friends or people I work with, I want to keep the relationship. Even if they make me mad, I'm very careful with the words that I use and the way I respond, the way I react. Is the relationship with God one you want to be, one you want to continue in? We're having our church anniversary next week. <clears throat> We're going to have a special meal. Um, we, we paid our church off this month. That was a, it's a big deal. It was good. It's good. And I, I hope you'll come. And I pray that as we begin another year as a church body, we'll be starting our eighth year. We'll be finishing up our seventh year and starting our eighth year. You know, some of it at the school, some of it here. Um, I pray that each one of us is renewed in our minds and we've cleaned out the salt shaker, we've sifted it through the sieve, and we've gotten rid of the stuff that was making it lose its saltness. It says that the saltness can't be restored. So there's a point at which we go too far, the flesh has taken over. But for you today here, I pray that you've not gone so far that the saltness can't be restored. I pray that you hear this word today and you take it in and you say, man, is that me? Do I need to work on those things? And I pray that you are renewed in your mind and filled with the Spirit. The man who is not filled with the Spirit cannot please God. To be carnally minded is death. But I like this next part. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want life and peace. I've been telling some of these that are really struggling with, you know, we got three different ladies right now that's pretty close to our circle of influence. Uh, Jenny Dalton and Lionel Petty and uh, Gloria uh, Hurtado that are, they're, they're, on, they're in a precarious spot. Things are bad. They got cancer real bad. Things could, I mean, it's all going to end in death, but things could end in death for them at a young age um, compared to maybe us. And one thing I've been telling them is, to, you know, to, while you're alive, live. Be encouraged, live. You know, wait to mourn till after death comes. Don't mourn now, but while you're alive, really influence your children, really you know, reach those around you. Talk to those people in the hospital. Bring other people to the gospel. You know, be a live, living believer. And I'm encouraging you in the same thing. While you're alive, live. You're a kingdom person. Be filled with salt. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And pour it out. Be fertilizing everything around you. Um, it doesn't take a lot of fertilizer to see a great improvement in a crop. So be, be fertilized. Be fertilizing. I pray that we as we continue forward as a body, that our church not become irrelevant. The churches become irrelevant when they go the way of the world, when they bring these worldly principles and views and ideas in. It becomes irrelevant. It becomes weak. It becomes a target. But a good example, if you want a good example, look at John MacArthur's church. Many churches shut down there in California. Many churches shut down. You can like them or not. But I'm telling you, what, he, what did he do? He preached the word with more power. He spoke the truth with more authority. He encouraged people with the gospel more. When they put him on TV shows, instead of just crying and whining about the fact they were trying to shut him down, he gave the gospel and he encouraged people to come to Christ. He told people they're going to go to hell if they died without Christ. And what happened? <laughs> California began to fear that church instead of the church fearing California. That's what happened. There is no fear of God because the people of God don't fear God. The world's not going to fear God if we don't fear God. That's a man that fears God. And he preached the word. And he preached it with strength. And he preached it with authority. And those, you know what? All those cases against him, they've all gone away. God's going to take care of it. God's going to protect those that are his. And he doesn't have to fear anything. You do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Anyway, I pray that you see, I pray that people as we see us out about, they see the fear of God in our eyes. I pray that the words that proceed out of your mouth are drawing other people to reconciliation with the Father. And for you personally, I pray that you would examine yourself and see if you're of the faith. If you're having this struggle with the flesh, leading your life and not the spirit, I pray that you would today repent and ask God to, to fix that part in you, to give you a zeal 
for his father's house. I pray that the life of the flesh with just a pretense of being spirit-filled would be broken from you and that today would be the day of your salvation. And it can only begin if you, when you cry out with, in repentance and faith and uh, something to the effect of Jesus save me. I want, we're going to have communion and before we, go, uh, before we begin in that, I, I want us to um, take a moment and just have a moment of opportunity just to, to pray there where you're at. And I'll be here afterwards, of course, and you can always come and talk to me. Don't, don't rush out today uh, with other things on your mind, but settle this first. Am I filled with salt? Am I filled with the Spirit, or am I carnally minded? And fix that while today is still today. Seek the Lord while he can still be found. Today is the day of your salvation. Father, this morning, Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here together, to hear your word in this place. Lord, it's good to be together God's people together under one roof to hear your word together. I pray for your blessings on these that are here, Lord. I pray that we would be um, humble and contrite in our hearts, that we would seek your face with our whole heart and desire to return to you so that you would return to us. I pray for our country. I pray for our, our, our state, our people. Lord, I believe you bless your people in this state because there's a lot of people in this state that love you and desire you. And I believe that states around Tennessee are blessed because... Uh, a large a number of people in Tennessee are God-fearing people, Lord. But for this, this little church and this little body, this little flock here today, Lord, I pray that today would be a day of repentance and confession, Lord, as they return to you, as they recognize these fleshly things that are in their life that, that have a lot more control of them than they realize. Lord, I pray that today they would turn those things over to you and that you would cleanse us from all transgression, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your care for us. And we ask that, that you would just convict us in spirit to read your word and to seek your face, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.